0: This morning, we're going to continue our sermon series called Walking the Red Mile. And each week, as we walk with Jesus towards the cross, we've been talking about how an encounter with Jesus changes your life. This Red Mile journey that Jesus is on changes the course of history. And when you and I encounter Jesus at the cross, it changes the course of our life. And so each week, we're inviting people to come, someone to come and share with us how Jesus has changed their life, to share with us what the death and resurrection of Jesus means to them. So to get us started this morning, I want to invite you to give your attention to Nathan Euler. Nathan's going to come and share his story with us to start this morning. How's it going, guys?
1: Um, As Justin said, my name is Nathan Euler. I'll kind of give you a little backstory about me. Um... Growing up, um, I was very kind of in through high school in my teens, I was very uh, money and work driven and motivated. Um, I kind of knew that if I ever wanted anything, I'd have to work for it and kind of pay for it myself, um, which was a blessing and a curse um, because I kind of put my time, most of my time towards work and just trying to make a paycheck. and it. Um, Wasn't really till I came to college till I found the Lord. Um, I got plugged into campus ministries here at Wayne State um, through crew, CSF, Bible study, discipleship, stuff like that. Um, And kind of progressing through that, um, I realized that there is really no foundation. There's no true foundation in the world, and there's nothing in this world that will really fulfill you. And I knew Um, that the only thing that would was to live for Christ and to glorify God. And um, I knew in order to do that, I had to fully commit myself to Christ. It wasn't going to be a a half-on, half-off type deal. Um, So in researching kind of this talk today, I came upon three verses that uh, had a major impact on my life. And um, the first one, I'll kind of read it to you. It's Philippians 4.6 and it goes do not worry about anything instead pray about everything and tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done um, I like to use the suburban analogy for this one it's like if you're driving a suburban or a limo um, when I was like when I was growing up if I was in the driver's seat I would put God in the very back seat in the third row and just kind of put um, things in the other seats that were closer to me of this world and When I was going through this transition of of accepting Christ, he slowly moved from the back seat to the middle seat until he was in the passenger seat. And that's when when I really needed to just trust him. And I kind of just had like a Carrie Underwood moment of Jesus take the wheel. So, So and it was then when I was in the passenger seat is when I learned to thank God about everything that he's done for me and for putting me in the spot that I am now um, and to make me the man that I am today. And then the second one is Ephesians 6-7. And it reads, Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Um, I like to underline the word work in that verse because I don't think it's just at your job. I think it's anything that you can do, like at all. Um, just make sure that you're working for the Lord um, because uh, my dad always told me, work as if though your boss was watching. And I like to say now, work as though if God was watching you all the time because he is. And um, even if that means, you know, not stealing your coworker's candy bar out of the fridge whatever it's fine um, <laughs> and then the last verse is Romans eight eleven and it reads uh, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead he will give you he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you um, so this is just breathtaking to think you know the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside us right now Um, this is a spirit that we can ask for comfort ask for wisdom um, guidance anything any struggles that um, may be in our way Um, and I'd like to close by saying God will put his power within us and bring out our spiritual transformation and to transform our lives and all we have to do in order to accept that this free gift is just accept him in our hearts and that's it thank you guys
0: that'll be the only carry underword illustration you ever hear in one of my sermons so Uh, good job now so this morning uh, I was thinking about what we're going to be diving into in scripture And I don't know about you, my favorite holiday of the year is March Madness. It's a holiday, just accept it, all right? I got a chance for six of my eight elite eight teams in my bracket still alive, and so, um, but I watch March Madness religiously at my house, and I wake my family up at 11 o'clock at night when my team is one second away from winning, and then somebody hits a shot, and they lose, and then I scream, and say other things that you won't hear in a sermon at church. And, uh, and so, like, you ever watch those games and you see, like, my favorite thing, honestly, when I don't have a rooting interest is, like, those moments where, like, a team hits a bucket and there's, like, two seconds left and the other team calls timeout and you see this just elation, right, that they, they're going to win this game and then the two seconds runs and somebody throws up a Hail Mary and it hits the back of the rim and bounces in and they lose and, like, you see these moments of, like, mountaintop high down to valley low and and I think oftentimes in life stories turn like that right like our lives can can be like that mountaintop experience in one moment and valley despair in the next and and today is Palm Sunday and it's a day that we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into town it's the day that we remember the palm branches Are a reminder to us when Jesus rode into town like a king. He came into town on a donkey. People laid palm branches at his feet, and they shouted, Hosanna, the one who comes to save. And Jesus comes in as a king. And this is just a few moments of life, just just a blink of an eye in the grand scheme of things, before the text that we're going to read today in Luke 23 and 22. Jesus rides into town triumphantly ushered in as a king in one moment and then in the very next he's arrested, beaten, and drugged into a courtroom like a criminal. Now as we've been walking on this Red Mile journey we were reminded last week that the Red Mile for Jesus, the suffering for Jesus, doesn't begin at the cross. That the suffering for Jesus began in the garden And if you were here last week, we talked about how Jesus agonizes in the garden with this idea of taking on the sin of the world. Jesus asks God to take the cup of wrath, the cup of God's wrath that was to be poured out on all mankind for the sins of the world. Jesus wrestles with this and he agonizes with this. And then after he does that, he's betrayed by one of his own. He's abandoned by most of his friends, and now in our text this morning, Jesus will be heading into a courtroom like a criminal for crimes that he did not commit. And this morning, while we dive into this courtroom scene, it's important to understand and to be reminded that there is another scene that actually happens simultaneously. Now, in Luke and in all the Gospels, they put one before the other because you can't really do the flashback scenes like a movie when you're writing out Uh, words on a page but we have that story in Luke 22 of Peter denying Jesus and if you remember the story Jesus had told Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed in the morning and Peter said I'll never deny you right and Luke tells us in this passage right before where we're going to jump in that Peter is standing outside in a, court, in a courtyard right outside where Jesus is about to go to be tried. And there's a group of people and somebody says, well, you were with Jesus. And Peter says, no, not me. I don't know him. You're crazy. And then another person says, no, I, I remember it. It certainly was you. You were with him. And, and Peter says, I don't know the man. And a third time, somebody says, no, you must be one of his followers. You're a Galilean. And Peter says, again, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know this man named Jesus that you speak of. And Luke gives us this beautiful picture where he says, at that moment, the rooster crowed and Peter sees Jesus walking by. Now, most scholars believe, and I would agree, that this is the moment where Jesus' first being led to go before Pilate the first time about what we're about to read so remember jesus just a few life moments ago had rode into town like a king and then in the blink of an eye he's betrayed by one of his own he's abandoned by almost all of his friends He's being drugged into a courtroom for crimes he did not commit. And just before he goes in, he sees his closest friend. The one who said, "I'll, I'll die with you, Jesus. And he sees him tell people three times, I don't know the man. And in that moment, Jesus once again is completely and utterly alone. And for Jesus... The Red Mile continues. There is an ancient castle in Japan. It's it's called a shogun castle. And and one of the unique things about this, it's the castle of a warrior, and they're all throughout Japan. But one of the unique things about these castles is the, the outer door. If you go to one of these, the outer door is about one or two feet off the ground. But if you're even a normal person, a person of normal height, like the the top of the door is probably a foot or two too low. So the only way that you can enter into these warrior's houses is you basically have, I'm not going to do this, but you basically have to get down on all four knees. If I get down, I'm not getting back up. And so, but you lower your head and you put your head through first. And the idea behind this was that in order to enter the house of a shogun, you had to lower your head and pass through the door head first, exposing your neck to the sword of the man who lived there. In other words, if you want admission into this house of this warrior, you have to literally expose your head to his sword. It's, it's a physical and a, a mental and an emotional form of submission. And the idea was that, that no enemy in their right mind would ever do that, right? Right? Like if you were an enemy of this warrior, you would never enter his house this way because he would see your face and he would cut your head off. And you literally place your life in the hands of the one who owns the home. And the idea is nobody would do that if they weren't your friend. And I tell you that story to tell you this as we get ready to turn to Luke 22, that this is what we're about to read. In this this portion of the Red Mile journey to the cross for Jesus, Jesus is about to enter the home of the enemy, and Jesus willingly will expose his head. He will willingly submit his life so that he can enter into the place where he knew he had to go. And in Luke 22, it starts in verse 63 for us this morning. It says, Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him, they blindfolded him, and then they would say to him, prophesy, who, who, who is it that struck you? So they'd, they'd hit Jesus somewhere while he's blindfolded, and they'd say, well, if you're a prophet, tell us, who hit you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. And I love that Luke leaves it at that, because what Luke is really saying when he says that, he says, they say many other things that I'm not going to print. He says, they said so many things that they are they're just not fit for you to read. And in Luke 22, as this journey into the courtroom, as we walk with Jesus into the courtroom this morning, we see that Jesus was mocked and beaten and ridiculed. And yet he did not retaliate. Jesus, the king of kings, comes into the room and these these minor people in the story of life, they beat him, they mock him and they say well if you're really who you say you are why don't you show us and they spit on him other gospel writers tell us they put crown on his head and they they mock and they laugh and yet jesus does not respond Can, can you imagine like sometimes i wonder i had some other friends this week who said the same thing like Sometimes I wonder, like, the emotional pain had to be almost worse than the physical pain. I mean, think about this. Jesus knew that he was going to die. Jesus knew. That's the whole point of this Red Mile series, right? It's like the Green Mile in the movie. You're walking to a place where you know you're going to die. Jesus knows that there's physical pain coming. But on the way to the place of death, One of his own betrays him, his friends abandon him, his best friends deny him, and now the very people that he came to save mock him, and ridicule him, and challenge him. Like like in my mind, I just go, Jesus, why didn't you just show them? Like Jesus, I, I get that you have to go to the cross, but why didn't you just show them in one moment? Like, you don't have to walk away. You don't have to call down fire from heaven. But, like, in one moment, like, when they say, who, pro-, they hit him, wouldn't you just, like, if it was me, I'd just go, yeah, that was you, Mark. <laughs> and then you see Mark's eyes get this big, right? Like, that, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you at some point just say, hey, listen, like, I'm willingly doing this now, but you need to know who I am. But at no point does Jesus retaliate. And I'm reminded again this week that only Jesus. Only Jesus, who is so full of love and mercy, only Jesus would allow these men who will dishonor him, who will mock him, only Jesus, in just a few moments, will also offer them the honor of salvation. Jesus will tell these very men, that if they repent and turn to him, all is forgiven and gone. The very people who dishonor the king will be given the opportunity of the honor of the king. And remember, just a short time ago, like a blink of an eye in, in the span of life, Jesus was hailed with shouts of Hosanna. He rode into town like an honored king on the back of a donkey and people praised his name, and now in the blink of an eye, his kingship is being mocked and ridiculed. And for Jesus, the red mile continues. In verse 66, it says, When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, the chief priests and the scribes. They led him away to their council. This is the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of jesus's day and they said if you are the christ then tell us but jesus says if i tell you you're not going to believe jesus says if i ask you you're you're not going to answer but from now on just so you know the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the power of god jesus doesn't even really answer their question so they said again well are you the son of god and he said to them well you say that i am And then they shouted and said, well, what further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from his own lips. And this goes on and on as we continue into chapter 23. Multiple times people come to Jesus and they say, why don't you tell us who you are? And multiple times Jesus just doesn't really give an answer. This goes on and on. It goes on before the Sanhedrin. Eventually the Sanhedrin take him to Pilate. It goes on before Pilate. Pilate grills Jesus and Jesus doesn't really give an answer. Pilate sends Jesus over to another king, King Herod, who happens to be in town for the Passover. And King Herod questions Jesus and he asks Jesus to do a magic trick. And Jesus doesn't even answer him at all. And so Herod sends him back to Pilate and Pilate grills him again. Even at one point, Pilate says to Jesus, he says, Jesus, you need to answer me. Like, Jesus, why won't you tell me what to do? Jesus, why don't you answer my question? Don't you know? Pilate tells Jesus, he says, don't you know that I hold the power of your life? And the only answer Jesus gives is, he says, the only power you got is the power God the Father gave you. And we see in these moments where Jesus is tried for crimes he did not commit, that he is accused, and yet he never really answers. Like Jesus never really mounts a defense. He he just kind of sits there or he gives a weird answer or he asks a question, but he never really says, like this is my defense for what you're saying to me. It's almost like Jesus knows there's no point in arguing with people like this. It's almost like Jesus understands that these people are so bent on what they are about to do that any argument isn't really going to matter. It's almost like Jesus says, you know, arguing with these people and being right isn't the point. That might be another sermon for another day. (laughs) But see, what's happening here is the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they have accusations against Jesus that Rome doesn't care about. But, but they have to make Rome care. See, see, the religious leaders have to make the government care because the religious leaders do not have the authority to execute Jesus. Now, they can kill him in some back forest somewhere and nobody has to know but Jesus is such a prominent figure that if somebody murders Jesus somebody's going to know and so they have to convince Rome to issue an edict of capital punishment because they don't have that authority and so they go to Pilate the Roman leader and the first charge they say is they say well this Jesus he's misleading our nation that they're accusing Jesus of leading the nation away from Rome And I find it really funny because as you read the Gospels, Jesus seems to just not care at all about who's in charge of the government. Like if you read the life story of Jesus, he just doesn't seem to pay any attention to that stuff. Jesus couldn't care less who you follow politically in Scripture. Jesus just says, really, you're following God, and the other stuff isn't really as big of a deal. Like, Jesus' whole life is focused not on getting people away from some political party. Jesus' whole life is focused on getting people to God. And really, Jesus' life says, whether you like Caesar or you don't like Caesar, what I'm curious about is, will you follow me? And so that they move on, and, and the second thing they accuse Jesus of is really funny, because they said, well, he won't pay taxes to Caesar. He won't pay tribute to Caesar when Jesus, just a few chapters ago in Luke literally said to people, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Like this is a complete lie, and so they move on really quick. And the third accusation they do before Pilate is they say Jesus is saying he's a Christ, which is a king. And this is a new charge. And when they say that this man is claiming to be king, the political ears go whoop. Because what Pilate's hearing now is, ooh, this guy might think he's me." Or worse yet, this guy might be claiming to be Caesar. And if Caesar hears this, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Because what they're saying is, is Jesus might be leading an insurrection where he's trying to make a claim to the earthly throne. But what's amazing to me is in the midst of all of these accusations, Jesus just doesn't really seem that concerned. Like, Jesus just doesn't seem concerned about convincing his accusers that they're wrong. Are you the son of God? He says, well, you say I am. (laughs) Are you the king of the Jews? Well, that's what people say. Like, Jesus just doesn't seem concerned about making sure they understand they're wrong and that he's right. It's it's mind-numbingly weird to me. (laughs) But... But in Isaiah 53, the prophet said that's exactly how Jesus would come. He says he, he's talking about Jesus, he's talking about the Messiah that is to come. The Messiah was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers, he is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And Jesus is accused with all these things that simply aren't true. And yet, he does not answer, and he does not defend. And for Jesus, the red mile continues. And in verse 13 of chapter 23, Pilate calls all the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he says to them, he says, you brought me this man as someone who's misleading the people. And he says, I've examined him before you, and I didn't find Jesus guilty of any of the charges against him. He said, and I sent him to Herod. And Herod didn't find anything wrong with him. He sent him back to us. Nothing deserving death has been done by this man named Jesus. And so Pilate says, I'm gonna punish him and I'm gonna release him. But the crowd cried out together and they said, Away with this man and give us Barabbas. Now Luke doesn't go into detail, but the other gospel writers tell us that there's a tradition around Passover where the leaders of Rome can release someone from prison, kind of a clemency kind of thing. And so Pilate thinks this is his way out, that he's going to put somebody up for release that is so terrible that nobody in their right mind would pick them over Jesus. And Luke says he put up a man named Barabbas who had been thrown into prison for insurrection started in the city and for murder. And Pilate addresses the crowd once more and tells them, take Barabbas instead of Jesus. And they say, no, give us Barabbas. And they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And a third time, Pilate says, why? Pilate says, why? What evil has Jesus done? He said, I have found him in him no guilt deserving death. I'm going to punish him. And I'm going to release him. Three times. But the crowd was urgent. And they demanded with loud cries that Jesus should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand would be granted, and he released the man named Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, and he delivered Jesus over to their will. And in this last moment of our scene this morning, we see that Jesus is convicted An innocent man is going to die, and yet Jesus does not run. And it's crazy to me, like I read this story, and there's a part of me that just feels bad for Pilate. Like you really get this sense that Pilate is trying everything he can do to get out of having to make a decision here. He's trying everything he can to not condemn Jesus. He even tries to give them a guy named Barabbas, who is a notorious criminal. And and he even tells them, he says, do you not notice that the two political leaders of your day, who didn't get along, by the way, before Jesus showed up on the scene, Pilate and Herod hated each other. They were on opposite sides of the spectrum. And then Jesus shows up, and the only thing these two political enemies can agree on is that Jesus is innocent. And once again, just like last week, we see this contrast between the darkness of evil that is perpetrating the killing of Jesus and the goodness of a Savior who willingly goes to die. And we're reminded that this battle is not against flesh and blood. We're reminded that there is a darkness and an evil that is not of this world. It is prevalent, and in this moment, it seems to be winning. And in this story of Barabbas, we see a small micro-picture of the gospel. We see this picture where the guilty one who deserves to die goes free, and the innocent one who deserves to live goes to die in his place. And for Jesus... The Red Mile continues. Now before we close this morning, don't don't miss this. I think it's really important for you and I to recognize this morning that the people who are perpetrating this are the religious people of Jesus' day. This is not the people who are outside the church. This is not the pagans of Jesus' day. This is not the people who don't know who God is. This is not people who would be described by most people as far from God. These are the people of God. These are the religious leaders of the church. And they are leading the charge of mocking, accusing, and eventually convicting their very own Savior. And we read this story, and I mean, the entire place is a circus, right? Right? Like, you read this, and it's crazy. I read the story and go, this place is a nut house. Like, the entire place, there's not a single person. There's not a single religious leader. There's not a single political leader. There's not a single bystander who's interested in the truth or justice whatsoever. Every single person, every single group in this story has an agenda, and none of them is about truth and justice the only person in the whole place, the only righteous person in the whole story, the only innocent soul in the whole room is the one who is beaten, mocked, tried, and convicted. Some would say that truth and justice went to the cross along with him that day. But Jesus gives three words in this story. As you read the gospel accounts of Jesus being convicted and led to the cross, he gives three words. He does have a response at some point, and those three words that Jesus says are from now on. And Jesus says these three words from now on, and he indicates to these people, he says from now on I will be seated at the right hand of God. And and those three words, from now on, Jesus, what he's really telling these people, they don't know it, is he says, you may think you're getting rid of Jesus today. You may think that this is over. And what he's really saying is, pretty soon you're going to see what authority I really have, and you're going to see your own earthly authority destroyed. What Jesus is saying is he's saying from now on. What he really means is that you may think you're succeeding in killing me today. But see, here's the thing that Jesus knows and that we know because we live on the back end of the story that the religious leaders did not know in Jesus' day. That Jesus' execution is not the ending, it is the beginning. And here's the thing that 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 hurts my heart in this story. At one point, these religious leaders had to know God. Right? Like, at one point, these men had to be following God faithfully. They're the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Like, I just can't believe that this is how they started. That these are the people that at one point in their life, they prayed and they hoped and they longed for a Savior But when their Savior came in a way that they didn't expect, when He didn't leave a political revolution, when He didn't come and take the kingdom with authority and violence and all those things, when He became as a humble servant, it just, it was so outside their realm of thinking that they missed Him. But you have to assume that at some point they were living for God and they were passionate about waiting for a Savior and then something changes and they stopped walking with God and they started walking against Him. And we don't know what happened. Like, Scripture doesn't give us that life story of these guys. But part of me thinks that at some point what happened is they became really consumed about being right more than they were consumed about reaching people. And what I've learned in walking with Jesus, honestly the hard way in my own life, Is that the moment I start walking against people instead of with them? Is the moment I start walking away from Jesus too? And I wonder, after this is all over, after next Sunday when we talk about Jesus and rising, was there there somebody in this group who went, Oh, I missed it? Is there somebody in this group who said, I wish I would have turned? It reminds me as the band comes this morning, Lee Strobel's great apologetics book, The Case for Faith, he tells a story of Charles Templeton, and if you don't know who Charles Templeton is, Charles Templeton was one of Billy Graham's partners and one of his closest friends in his evangelistic ministry, and he was an incredibly powerful preacher. Some think, I do, that he was a better preacher than Graham But Templeton, at some point in his life, ended up doubting his faith, and he eventually abandoned it altogether. There's a shift that you can see in Templeton's life where his preaching even changed from talking about God and and talking about Jesus and talking about mercy and grace, and it shifts to talking about how he's right and you're wrong, and you can see the shift of him walking away from people, and eventually he walks away from God. In fact, not only did he abandon his faith, he becomes a major critic of Christianity, and he wrote a book that's called My Farewell to God, My Reasons for Leaving the Christian Faith, or Rejecting the Christian Faith. And Templeton is 83 years old when Strobel interviews him for his book, The Case for Faith. And Strobel asks him, he says, Mr. Templeton, in your view, what would you say about Jesus? And he says, Templeton says, I think Jesus is probably the most important human being who ever existed. And Strobel said, that's when Templeton uttered words that he'll never forget. He said, Templeton's voice began to break. And he said, I think he's the most important human being who ever lived. And he said, and I miss him. And he said, Templeton buried his head in his hands and he began to weep. church I think when we start walking away from people we really start walking away from God and I don't know about you and I I I think there's lots of reasons and excuses and all those things that I'm not going to get into this morning but maybe you're here this morning and you miss people boy do I miss people Maybe you're here this morning and you just miss the joy and the happiness and the peace that comes with walking with Jesus to the cross. Maybe you're here this morning and you miss those moments with the Savior that just are so good. Maybe you're here this morning and you're tired of the anger and you're tired of fighting and you're tired of just talking about what we're against and you just want to be reminded of a Savior that's for us. Maybe you're here this morning and you just missed Jesus. If that's you, church, can I just tell you, me too. Me too. For Jesus in this moment, he willingly says, I'll go to that cross so that you don't have to. Jesus says you can mock him, you can spit at him, you can ridicule him, you can tell lies about him. He will not answer. He will not fight. He will put out his hand and say, why don't you turn and walk with me? And for Jesus, the red mile will continue. The question this morning is, will we walk the red mile with him? If you missed Jesus this morning, I invite you to take his hand and walk with him to the cross. Let's stand, let's walk.